Yeah, like Clash of the Titans was like the best movie of all time when I was. You guys remember oh that? Gosh. Yeah, dude. What Harry Hamlin played like Perseus, wasn't it him? Yeah. See, was... Sean is a deep thinker. That's why Sean and I were so. Let's do this. Hey, friends, this is Living in a Matrix. Let's get started because we could have the pre-conversation forever. Yep. Trust me. Uh, today is going to be one of my favorite days because I get to have one of my best friends on who's a doctor of chiropractic and probably one of the wisest men in terms of knowing how to heal that I've ever met. And he doesn't always think that, but trust me, he is. He's phenomenal with what he does. And uh, we met what? When did we meet Sean? About 2007? I think my between five and seven. Yeah. So Sean and I six at church and we have the son, a son with the same name. So we met in uh, like, like nursery right. church. Yeah. And uh, so we ended up working in a, or doing a men's group together. And um, that's where we just started really talking very deeply about the ideas of healing. Cause that's what the group was about. It was about learning how to heal and learning to follow Jesus into a space of healing and it was a very powerful formative experience. And uh, so this is one of my dearest friends who's been through a lot of my own trauma and drama and my own bullshit together because we worked on that kind of stuff. And um, so, Sean, I want to give you the floor for a second. Give us just a one minute intro to who you are and make it as interesting as you want to make it. So. Oh, my gosh. It's kind of <laughs> funny. Like. Okay. Um, I'm trying to stay married. Number one. Okay. I have four kids who I love very much, but I'm trying to show them. I love them more through my actions rather than my words and intentions. Um, those are on the main, like forefront of what I'm doing energetically these days with my, my time and intention, um, trying to pay some bills as a third thing I'm doing. And, uh, my career's in a very strange, um, Kind of flux right now, which is awesome, but there's a lot of uncertainty, which is, I know it's good for me, but that's, uh, so I do a lot of, you know, chiropractic work still in office about half the month. And then uh, I'm uh, really exploring, you know, what, what, what God's doing in this world. And instead of saying, Hey God, here's what I want to do. Follow me. I'm really trying to hold the space of what are you doing? Cause I want to go there. Cause I once was close to that power and then I kind of got further away through life stresses and things. And I woke up one day about a year and a half ago and went, where am I? What am I doing? This isn't where I was going. So I'm back on that trajectory and I'm, I'm paying attention. And I'm starting to see like, you know, like that whole, like, I only yeah. do what I see my father doing. I'm trying to, to sense that in the day and, and live in today because man, every day is cool when I'm trying to live there. Like today, just experiences with humans and patients and animals and nature and just the uh the kind of the fun adventure of life when I'm outside of my own head right that mm -hmm. makes sense so that's kind of what I'm doing day to day and you know obviously helping people lose weight get out of pain get some sleep get their sex drive back uh get their mojo back um avoid surgery drugs and yes most MD offices, you know, Amen. I love doctors, but you know, I'm trying to keep them out of those offices and they want them out anyway. Like, you know, how, how old does that get hearing the same thing every day? So yeah, that's what I'm doing for a, a gig right now. See, this is rich. This is why I invited him on. Well, he's, he's going to help me open and honest guy about his journey. And that's what we've always connected. Just like you and I have 
Sean is a great example of someone who opens and opens the kimono. We practiced opening the kimono together. And when you learn how to do it, you start experiencing very deep relationships. That's what I always want. That's partly why I want people to know you, Sean, is because you and I have always had such a keen sense of this journey of healing together. And I so appreciate you opening up right there because you totally did. You opened the kimono just like you've always done. And that, hopefully our listeners can see, that is the kind of open honesty that most people want in their lives. And so we talk in these episodes about that journey of how do you get there? How do you get to a space that's intentional, um, that's meaningful? Because it's got to be meaningful or it's not any good. You know, yeah. have good Great. consequence ultimately. So um, I want to start with the first idea is you and I met with two sons of the same name. How is your son, Carter? Because mine is trying to figure it out and he's trying, you know? Yeah. Yeah. For, I would say first year of college was a, a rough year for it's probably the hardest parenting year of his whole life for me, which is wild because, you know, thought diapers and then toddler stages. And, um, but, you know, watching him become a man and want to make his own choices, me and his, you know, his mom and I pulling back, um, but really just saying, okay, so he got into William Jessup, great school, yeah. went on campus, got to live there. I mean, except for like maybe a 500, a couple thousand bucks, he like scholarship the whole thing and worked himself to pay for it. And uh, including room and board, lived with his best friend. So it was a great training wheels of getting out of the house. Um, You know, didn't get in any trouble, but really um, definitely flexed his, um, I want to make my own choices, dad. And, and, and got into some though, some legitimate dark places of, of, you know, borderline uh, self-harm physically, emotionally, um, got his first girlfriend who it's pretty serious already. So I'm just like, whoa, I, I'm just like, I see a little version of me, like I'm sure you do in your son. And I'm just like, I want to rescue him from growing up the hard parts of that. And I also want to, but I'm just learning, like I'm learning how to be dad slash mentor slash friend um, all at the same time so it's it's a little confusing but it was a pretty rough first year so rich your son is what 21 no hunter's now 26 he'll be 27 26 how is that for you letting go because i'm right there i'm i like i told my son and my daughter it's time to take care of their own cell phone bill and i feel like it was almost like okay i had to push them and grow and it's good and they both took it really well but it's like it's kind of hard letting go because you want to make an impact on their life you know yeah, well, that's right after Dr. Hawkins, right? And so I wish I'd known more about letting go, you know, many years ago. So Hunter, when he was out of college, got into Sonoma State and, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I don't think he was ready for it. Um, I, I don't think I was ready for my first year of college. I pissed away my first year at uh, a Ventura College at a community college, right? So, you know, the Europeans have this thing called a gap year where you graduate and you kind of go walk around and explore stuff. And I think a lot of us, we talk about the corpus callosum or actually the, the prefrontal cortex not even fully developed. And like, here we are expecting an 18 year old to figure out what they're going to start doing, right? Funny, funny stuff, right? Like give it, give that a go. So, you know, but over the course of time, he just kind of, you know, evolved in his own man. We try to set up great principles, you know, you know, we all went, we went to um, Bridgeway, um, Sean Desino, which is just oh, yeah. away from, uh, 
from uh, Jessup. And so we had yeah. a lot of, we knew a lot of pastors there. I know, I still know Matt, um, Matt Bach, who's at, um, at, uh, at Jessup. But what I'm getting at is there is that point of time where you're trying to lean in and try to give as much guidance as possible. And you realize that you've got to kind of pull back as well. Right. You know, and, yeah. and where, where, do you, where do you hit that kind of flux and where do you let the pain? Cause Sean, you're talking about, I, I want to have him avoid the, those painful bumps. It's like, we had a guest on here who would actually know relish that his name was Sean also. And he wanted to actually create his own problems so that he could learn and understand who he was in the world. So yeah. kind of crazy. Yeah. 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 How have you handled it, Sean? Like you, you said it twice. You guys let go. And then you talked about letting go. How was it? Well, it, it's weird walking around your adult son. Well, we call him adult son, right? But <laughs> no, they are. Legally, they're adults. Come on. But like, like, the, like the 10, yeah, it's like, it's like bizarre. It's like, I don't know how to be around him right now because like, I'm half frustrated with him. I half love him to death. Well, I guess I'm, I ran out. That's a whole, I, I third, I'm frustrated. I'm third, love him to death. And I'm third, like, so over concerned with his circumstances that I, some, I, I think what I defaulted to is I'm just going to just be chill and give him a big hug and just be in the same room with him and just not correct or ask too many detailed questions to put him on any kind of, um, now there's dad again, meddling, but uh, it's actually getting a little bit easier. But you, you know that awkward tension where you're kind of in the room with somebody and it's like, well, are you going to talk? Am I going to talk? And then I think we just sit there and sit next to each other and put some workout show on something we share a commonality, <laughs> which is good. And yeah. I'm just learning how to, to sit with my semi-adult son who's yeah. wants to be autonomous, but he still needs us. It's such a weird... Cause he's home for summer. So it's like, right. he, kind he of knows where his home he kind is. Of doesn't. He knows where the good cooking is, you know? Yeah. But even that <laughs> and the oh, laundry, time we laundry, this, yeah. laundry. Yeah. Oh yeah. But we had this talk of like, mom's like, Hey, Renee's like, uh, you're coming home this weekend. He's like home. Oh, you mean your house? Like he made it a point and like, I know what's going on here, but uh, it's funny that lasted for a little bit, but I see it. He's really just trying to, I think at the end of the day, and he's spoken this to his mom, He's like, well, dad did this at this age and I want to measure up to that, which is so strange because I just want him to not be stressed out and well. That's what I care about. He'll yeah. make money and all that. Yeah. I'm not worried about that. And he thinks like he his expectation kid. of himself. Yeah. I mean, he's like a 4.2 gets through his first year. I mean, he's going to be a dentist. He'll be on the right track. He's going to make plenty of money and be successful in the worldly. But what I want him to do is be confident in who he is. And that's hard because that's developing and, and, you know, like you, you were looking at our kids, all of us still and going, well, I guess we're looking at ourselves too. We're still developing and maturing, but yeah. like, for some reason, like, isn't it just kind of an awkward space? At least he's my oldest. Um, Rich is, that's your I'm oldest too. Oldest as well. No, there's a lot of pressure on the oldest son, you know? Yeah. I yeah. So yeah. What about you, Jonathan? What's, uh, what is like, it, does that make sense? Do you have any of those awkward, like, so my son took a totally different track. And he said, dad, I do not want to go to college. Like he really brought himself to a place of he was afraid, but he confronted me and he said, dad, I don't want to go to college. And at that moment, I've had interesting moments with my son where I felt like I needed to let him make that choice. And this was one of them. And I said, okay, I'm going to trust you that you're following your heart. And he said, absolutely. And he went to LA, he moved and he got 
five of his friends together. They all lived together in LA to make it so the rent would work. And they built right. a business. That's and the first, yeah, the first year, <laughs> I think it was like first 14 months, he made $155,000 in business. And I was like, holy crap. And then he got derailed because it's LA and there's other interesting things. And well, he, it's easy to spend $156,000. Well, I mean, most of that probably went to his business, but yeah, but he was selling stuff. And I was like, you are doing it. And I loved the vision. It was called, it was a brand called Glisten. And I loved the idea of Glisten that he believed everybody glistened. And that was his idea. And it was brilliant. And I love that he went after it. And then it failed. And then the whole roommate situation crashed. So he had this huge idea that he was manifesting and growing. And then all of a sudden it crumbled. And I'm like, oh my God, my son is experiencing that moment in his life where he goes through the failure. And I was like, how's he going to do? How's he going to do? And I, I, you guys, I held back so much letting him kind of work through it. And we talk about it when we go to dinners, but he, he's like a little stoic. And he really thinks very deeply about life, about relationships, about his parents, about our divorce. Like he has a very deep life. And I step back and go, okay, I feel at times like, wow, he's making good decisions. And the more that I trust him, the more it seems like he flourishes. But he he's like trying to get back on the saddle right now. And he's struggling with it, but he's he's trying. So, yeah. It's been a uh, a really interesting period of learning how to be a parent to an adult now. That's probably yeah. my new stuff is like, this is an adult. And you've got three more coming behind him, man. If I could look at it with the right perspective, it's great, though. They're all so different. Like yeah. Kids, they're all, and it's like, gosh, like, how can I, I really want to be their, their ally and their, mm-hmm. not necessarily their friend, like, Meaning like, oh, I want them to tell me everything and I don't, and I want to accept everything and act like I agree just so they right. stay close. I'm not really that worried about that. I'm, but I want them to know no matter what, I'm on their side. Yeah. And, uh, and that it's okay yeah. if they do things, it's okay if they do things different than dad would do or even thinks you should do. I'm learning to be okay with that. And that's actually not that hard. It's kind of funny. Seeing them in pain or thinking they're going down a road that's going to be painful. That's what's hard for me. But um, them making decisions, um, even like nutrition and weightlifting, you know, we talk about all this stuff. I'm like, oh, you're, you know, I'm always the dad, like you're overtraining, you're overtraining, you're overtraining. And they're like, no, I'm good. You know, I could do 72 sets and then rest and get four hours sleep and do it again tomorrow. And I'm learning to be okay with like, all right, well, that's what Let you think. Let me know out. how that works. Let me know how that works for you. I'm like, I've only been in this uh, space for, you know, 35 years and have done everything I know. wrong. I know. By all means, don't listen to me. Right. But, you know, it's kind of fun in a way. It's just like, I just chuckle. But um, yeah, just trying to not be judgmental and uh, not necessarily affirming everything, but not opposing it either. It's just not holding that tension, which is very similar to like a letting go concept, right? Just letting go of the outcomes, holding that tension. But that holding that tension is a very funny thing for me. And I think a lot of people, um, it I think that's like a, a superhero power or spiritual discipline of holding tension. Like, mm-hmm. like when you're around somebody and you're used to carrying the conversation, one day you just decide, <laughs> right? That oh, no, nobody's talking. Rich, <laughs> jump in, save it, Rich, save it. 
Yeah, you know, but um, really? it's kind of really yeah. fun now. I'm enjoying making people wiggle a little bit. I'm like, because I was always the wiggler, the tense <laughs> person, the, the pleaser, the fix it to keep it all going. And now, John, like, you know what I discovered last year is I was a total people pleaser. I was yeah. so codependent, dude. I was so freaking codependent. And I tried to people please everybody to hide my own pain, man. It was so sad. And I look, and it's not sad. It's like, when you wake up from codependency, it's like, okay, there is life because man, people pleasing is so unfulfilling. Loving people is fulfilling. Yeah. And people pleasing is such a weak, it's yes. like a weak play. It's just a weak play. Yes. I'm kind of, I'm embarrassed. I mean, I'm not like yes. shameful. I'm just, I'm embarrassed. I'm like, oh God, I'm yeah. like, why did I punch that guy in the mouth? I've never punched anybody in my life, but there's a good argument I should have at least twice. Right. I mean, I've, I've even been punched and was like, I'm going to be the bigger person here when really I'm like, everybody's like, you should have laid him out. He's just going to go keep doing that. To right. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's just mm-hmm. funny, but I'm embarrassed by my, my sheepish weak position. But now finding that strength is like, you don't want to flip the other side now and be like, don't please anybody. In fact, I'm going to try to make, you know, make it awkward, but it is fun sitting in the, uh, the tension of that because I don't know what's on the other side of people pleasing. It's just, I don't know. It's yeah. uh, when you do it your whole life, it's kind of strange, right? So I want to segue because you brought it up about letting go. How you introduced me to Dr. Hawkins in probably 2008 or nine. How did you find Dr. Hawkins? Like where did uh, that I had a mentor doctor uh, named uh, Dr. John Brimhall. He was a chiropractor. And he I remember was you telling me about him. Yeah, I went to a, a training seminar and uh, I kind of snuck into the advanced room and he was, uh, you know, talking about, you know, feelings buried alive and doing some emotional trigger release work with lasers and colored glasses. And I'm like, what kind of woo woo whack job is this? Right. And then he called me up. I was trying to hide out in the back of the room and uh, I'm like, oh shoot. So then he worked on me and he did some of this stuff and uh, told us about, you know, Hawkins and the map of consciousness. And I just immediately knew like deep down, I'm like, this is truth. There is something to that. I don't understand it and I don't agree with a lot of it, but there's truth to it. So mm-hmm. I got to work that out. And yeah. you know, here we are like 20 years later, still kind of working out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, that was a good one. Maps of consciousness, right? Do you know what's funny is like th- this idea of truth. I mean, it's, there's something you can feel the details are always seem to be fleeting, but then there's this overarching, just definite resonance, you know? Um, Jonathan, one of my friends who is a, a Vedic meditator, there's a lot of people who want to go beyond just meditation that, that does more than just kind of reduces your heartbeat, right? Mm-hmm. Gets stress, you know, helps you sleep better. Yeah. And things called CDs, which are these things where you're trying to get these kind of secrets of the universe and these, these powers. And what he was saying, ironically, was the, the people that actually have the most power, like he would refer to Jesus, right, as an avatar. Mm-hmm. Um don't actually need those things, right? right? The people that strive for them, we're the ones striving, but the people that are already got, got that, they don't actually strive anymore, right? And it was just a brilliant construct. You know what somebody yeah. said? So I, I listen or watch a lot of reels. I find them incredible because Instagram has figured me out. Like I'm at a 99% perfect feed. It's amazing because how their algorithm works. And I wow. get the same stuff. And this guy said out loud, he said, People don't realize that they're not really chasing the house and the car and the side chick or whatever it is, you know, in third or fourth place. They're chasing the emotion, the experience of that thing. So if you chase, I want 
love or hope or um, feeling of worth. Because I think if we, we think if I surround myself with all of that, people will think I'm worth it. And then they get it and they realize, like, I've worked for three billionaires in my life and they're not happy. And it made me sad. Um, they were pretty dark, miserable people. And um, it's like, and I was thinking the other night, what is the point of wealth? And I think it's to learn not to hold on to things. And that's not easy to do, you know? So it's money is one of those things that is hard to really, uh, like I am listening to the space of abundance right now. I feel like it's mostly internal because that's what I'm focusing on. Um, but it's like, it feels good to be alive. I have a lot of gratitude with life. Like I can share that with you guys because you understand what that means. I have a lot of gratitude. And what, the more that I'm finding that I enjoy the life that God gave me, regardless of my intention to, to direct it, the more it becomes even better. And I am seeing, that, that's the thing is my imagination is about what would the kingdom of God look like? And that's what I do a lot when I walk on, uh, on my walk. And it's, what does love look like? And the more that I look for the moment, how love would play out, that's what the kingdom of God looks like. And it is remarkably similar to what we would have now, but it's peaceful. And what, and so I ask, what would it look like if people actually did on mass get healed? And we had this sense of resonance because I think what Rich and I are discovering right now is what happens when you open yourself to feeling loved. And when you feel love, you realize, oh my gosh, it becomes the embodiment of what you see in your head as God. And it's like, God actually does love me. And that is an experience that I think everybody wants. And um I think all three of us have experienced something like that in our lives. I think that's why I'm attracted to you guys is because we've all had a very deep sense of experience with God. Sean, how do you think your journey changed? Because you were like kind of Western and then you kind of really did go Eastern. Where are you at now? Yeah, I went from being spiritual to, to being, I guess what you call a born again mm -hmm. Christian at 23 years old. And then kind of got into, not away from that, but started encompassing, like trying to find the connection between, okay, truth is truth, right? Both, yeah. both camps here, the mystics and the Christians, they can't both be right. And they're, and they're probably both not wrong. Um, so what, what are the commonalities? Mm -hmm. And I, I found that what I think um, in all this is that a lot of the, when, when you, when you organize things, sometimes things just cause a mess, right? And I think you have to let go of things that cause a little bit of mess. And I don't even mean that a mess is bad, but it's uncertain. It's unpredictable. And the yeah. reality is the structure of the church I know, um, you know, the churches I've been to, they're very structured. They have to be structured. I've been at churches where the structure gets a little out of hand and it creates problems. And I think what happens over time is humans like certainty and control. So they mm -hmm. give up some of those things that were. So in other words, what I'm trying to say is the mystics have things that are mine. My daddy gave them to me but they were entrusted to the church and the people being the body of Christ, not necessarily an organization, but the organizational side allowed for those things to go over here. And the mystics were walking around one day and found these gems and these things and said, Hey, 
this stuff works. And they created their doctrine around that. And so you have, you know, what I would say, I'm like, okay, I believe Christ is the way, you know, and then you have the mystics that say, have all this power, but they don't say Christ is the way. So I found that church had the structure and the doctrine and, and kind of like the, the framework, but they, they, they let go of things, in my opinion, that mystical people picked up and kind of stumbled along example. the way and say, yeah, like these things have power to them. These Give me an example of what one of those things is. Um, I would say like, I've seen faith healing that okay. isn't about Christ, but if there is one true God, then all healing comes through Christ, right? If that's say the Western evangelical. Okay, we'll give you one, which Rich and I talked about two weeks ago or last yeah. week, two weeks ago is there is a, Dr. Dispenza oversaw a meditative group non-religious yeah. meditative group thinking what was they thinking about love or projecting love and the person was healed in three minutes absolutely like, like that happens and it's not centered around god or jesus right so what i feel like is yet if you look at a worldview that christ holds all things together mm -hmm. my quantum physics says that's absolutely supporting what happened when jesus said right. a word or touched somebody yeah the problem is we've drawn this line and we even do it because we're like, our, our, our brains are so binary. It's East yeah. or West. It's zero right. or one rather than, because imagine saying, Hey, you guys come on over here and bring that back and let's integrate this. What a mess. Yeah. I mean, it's a mess. It's, it's literally a hot mess. So, but I think for me, I've, I've been put here to figure out who I am. Yeah. Right. And so we come back to love. I think love is, is me realizing that I'm a created being that existed long before this physical form, mm -hmm. probably in eternity, right? In Christ. Um, and that as an idea I, or as a pre-existence, are you talking about like pre-existence, pre-existence, Sean? Oh, absolutely. Like, like I believe when Jesus is like, Hey, who do they say I am? And would they respond? Well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say, Okay, well, obviously, before Christ, the Christos, the spirit that holds all things together, yes. embodied a human, he was on the move. And so I believe God, that's God, a yeah, God the Son's eternal. Correct. Yeah. He's yeah. always been. yep. And he's always coming and going, I believe, right? You know, there will be an ultimate in coming back. But I do believe, you know, in my theology, I mean, I'm not theologically trained, so I'm sure I'm frustrating people right now with how I'm saying it, but I'm trying to speak in a layman term that. Yeah, I, I I think it actually scripture speaks to very clearly that we existed well before we were our spirits were placed into a human. I believe there were spiritless humans. I believe that's what the Bible says until spirit was breathed into Adam. You know, I believe there was plenty of life before that. I believe at some point science and our religion will prove each other correct. I just believe we don't have the pieces to link them. We don't have the glue to integrate mesh, you know, like a transmission. We don't have synchro gears, man. We're like grinding it going into first to second to third. And, and, but, but the mystics have something I've known. I've seen it. I've seen people. I've been at a faith healing session that is very evangelical and watch people fall and hit the ground. It's happened to my own family members. Mm -hmm. And I, I say, Hey, what happened? Like I'm healed. And he was, cause he's dunking the ball two weeks later his knee is healed. I've also seen that at a chiropractic seminar where people are falling and it all looks the same to me. But like you said, they are not saying in Jesus name and there's no push. You know? Right. And uh, 
you know, because I've seen that too. I've seen the push and I've seen that I'm not going down. Yes, you are. I've seen like the, you know, the, the WWF style uh, healing service too. And, and but, um, so, you know what I'm saying? But what I do know is that is real. Can, can 99% of it be emotionalism and psychosomatic and placebo? Absolutely. But I know somewhere in there between 0.1 and 99.9%, and it is real. And real to me is, is Christ. And that is love expressed when we could. So for me, love is expressed through me knowing, hey, I'm a created being and I'm doing what I was put here to do to overcome this world. And that's where it's unique to us all, right? There's certain things that I need to overcome to really be this whole idea of saved. I, I laugh. I'm like, you're saved because you said that. You're saved because Which you, is you know, you're not saved till you're saved. Like it's so right. semantic. You know, it's like, come on, people. Right. Like we have to overcome. We have to overcome. And right. everybody will get their time and chance to choose us now, but we have to overcome this world. And what gave us our success, and I'm sure you could attest to this, Jonathan, and, and maybe you too, Rich, what got us to a place of success at earlier versions of ourselves now became the very things like destroying us. And that's a natural maturation and progression right. of being. Human. Right. And so that's where I think, like, I know you are, Jonathan. I know I am like, oh, that almost killed me. But now I'm, I have to overcome it. And it's really hard and painful. And it's scary because I could go back to that and I could. I could, I could schmooze, I could pay the bills, I could manipulate, of course, I wouldn't call it that, right? But I could do what I do that gives me great success. I could, I could use words, I could get people excited, but that's me driven. I wanna, I wanna work for my father. I wanna work in love where it flows effortlessly, where I'm not aging myself and I'm not paying the price because that, that has a high cost, I feel like. So, Sean, I love you, man. I love how deep your thoughts are. And I love that you're still on this journey because well, let me ask you a question. So for those listeners who don't know, or I'll say Sean and I were in a men's group and it was one of my most important experiences in my life. I surrounded myself with nine other guys and we all said, let's try and do this learning how to be a human being in the way of Jesus. And it stretched the hell out of me because this group was deep and I went through my divorce through it. Um, Sean, I think you, I've told you this. I think I told you this last dinner that you're the one who called my BS. It wasn't, I probably BS is the wrong word, but you said, what if you don't do this group? And I realized, shit, my identity is this group. Holy cow. You're the one who called me on that. And that's when I, I stopped. I didn't do anymore. And I was like, I don't. So what did the group mean for you? Because I've always kind of wondered, I, I know we've talked a lot, but what is the value of doing the work? What was it in your life? Because you've done a load of work. Yeah, gosh, that's a, that's a, that's a tough question. Um, ask me again. What was your experience of our group from where you for, like looking yeah, back for now, me personally, yeah. not to say what the group did for me personally. Yeah, I believe so. I always and I think we have that similarity. I was raised by a single mom, uh, lots of stepdads and prospective stepdads in and out of my life. Mm -hmm. Um And so I was it was women were always easier for me to befriend. 
Yeah. And they were safer. Guys were like, oh, even in practice, 95% women, couple kids, couple dudes, right? Mm -hmm. That was my comfort zone. That group allowed me to get in front of some guys and say, number one, we're committed to each other. Number two, um, it's not about showing up for me always. Sometimes it's about, I don't want to go, but it's about showing up for you and the other 10 guys or 11 guys. And, uh, and also, um, so for me, it was almost like putting healthy, positive male, I mean, sometimes touch, you know, just hugging a guy. Sure. And not that I was macho and it was weird. It's just like, we have a need for that as men, vulnerability, but a lot of it just loyalty, like, hey, these dudes are going to stick this out long term. And I think that was really big because it creates a, a space for guys, for, for me to um, kind of practice some things and, and see how it goes and be, was that too honest? Was that not honest enough? Is anybody really going to call me on my BS? Or are they all going to let me BS myself? And then did you feel that to, or was that I, like, did that? No, yeah, I did. Or did, I did you get over that? I feel like, for me personally, and I don't know if this is for you guys or, or other men, if it's a common thing, but for me personally, I feel like um, it's hard for a lot of people to call BS on me because I don't know what it is. And I don't know if I set those dynamics like up. An, like a prophet, like, like, what do you think about like, if you have a pastor or a preacher and you speak preaching something and you know that it's not the right verse or something, and there's a, some, there's a motivational spiritual gift, like one of the, well, if you would, right? And there's that term of profit where you're you're actually calling somebody out, right? Is that what you're referring to? Because I mean, you know, I, there's different there's different types of BS too. I think Sean, right? I mean, there's BS in terms of like somebody's actually tr literally trying to deceive, and and others are like, you know, you're going through this process again and again and again, and I've heard it again and again. Okay, now I'm tired of it, right? I'm calling. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, definitely more that. Like, okay. When are you going to quit complaining about the same things and not do something? Or, or I remember one time I, I was, uh, and in fact, Jonathan, you're you're one of the only ones who who did do that for me. Like Sean. Oh, I, I think, think people were myself. intimidated by you. Yeah, you weren't because I think we had a connection where I'm not intimidating. But what I what I mean about that, which is interesting though, it's only because I think it mirrored their insecurities too. So to call me out on it, it would mean they'd have to expose themselves and have yeah. their own brutal, honest moment. Huge. I don't think it had anything to do with them being too sheepish or it was almost like this game I think men play. And, and, and I see women do it too. I don't know if men do it with women, but I see women do it with each other. Like, it's like, I don't want to expose myself or, or mess up my identity in this relationship. So I'm going to just, you know, I just remember one time uh, I had two kids at the time and I remember in group saying, you know, I got really frustrated. I was losing my mind. It was, it was hard. Renee was out of town. I was stressed out with work and I was really, it was like the peak of just everything kind of uh, just being rough, you know, in life. I had, a, I think a, a two and a four-year-old and I'll never forget. I, I, I smacked one of, I think it's probably Keenan because Keenan gets my emotions. So, you know, uh, raw. And I think I kind of just slapped him in the head in a way that was not appropriate. I mean, I didn't hurt him, but it was like just one of those and I just remember feeling like, wow, that is not who I am. That is, I love these kids. And I remember expressing that in the group. And it was like, I couldn't even get finished the conversation because everybody was rescuing me. I'm like, no, 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 guys, I, I'm okay. I need you to know that like I'm repenting because I carried myself to a higher standard. And I'm, but it was so strange where um, 
I felt like it would have been fine to be like, Sean, check, you really screwed up. Don't do it again. You're good. Like, but yeah, that's terrible. But it was almost like, no, we all do it. And we, it was almost like, oh, guys, like, why are we rescuing? No, you know why? Let, let me, let me rescue the group. Cause I think that was my fault. What I'm learning about myself is that I am a rescuer. And I created a lot of the group and why I had to stop is because I created a group to rescue myself, but I did instead rescued everybody else. And I, your call of BS was the one I needed to hear. And that's when I stopped. And so I don't think that was a reflection of the group. I was a reflection. I think I created that space and you fell into it. And because it's a safe space for someone who doesn't want it, their BS call. Well, at the same time, I remember allowing it to happen too. Like, yeah, yeah we and, did. And I, it, you got, you, the people called your BS, but it was, yeah. I remember you talking about that of, is anybody going to call my BS? I, I do. I remember that. And I think it was genuine because you wanted to grow. You know? Yeah. And that's, what, and, and I also, one thing too, and, and I wanted more for us all. And I knew it was there. The potential yes. was for it. And it was frustrating to see. But, okay, so this is, this is not meant to be, because I include myself in this. It's, it's very similar to what happens in practice. I'll see somebody now. I've been in practice for 22 years. I have some patients I've been seeing for like 15 to 20 years. And they're just repeating patterns. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, but I do it. So, so here comes the, the, the kind of the, the tough moment. Do I ask them if they want me to be brutally honest, but you know, the minute you ask them that you're brutally honest, right? Because just asking the question means there's some pretty heavy duty that I got to tell you, do you want to hear it or not? Right. Which means once you do that, you've already tweaked the relationship, but I'm getting to a point to be more bold now with that because yeah, you know, whatever. I have a, I've had lots of money. If I had no money, I've been in between. I don't care about your money. I care about you. And it's fun to be at a place now where I really mean that. Of course, I mean, I want to pay my bills. I'm not trying to turn away business, but like, I care about that person's healing more than I care about, you know, playing the game where they, I do well, just enough. feel enabling to continue seeing them? For sure. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Unless I speak, here's what's wrong as True. I see yes. it. Truth. I yes. could be wrong, but here's what I think you need to do. But now that is yours. It's kind of like we're talking about parenting our, our, our adult children. Now it's yours to hold. And I could be wrong. I don't think I am, but I could be. I'm not trying to be egocentric, but I feel like this is what I need to speak to you. If you're good with that, we could keep playing me. You come yes. in, I poke at you, make you feel better game. You pay your bill. I'm happy with that. If that's what you want, because then we're in agreement, right? There's no it's laws of fair exchange are in play. You're just being honest. Yeah. Yeah, but if I don't speak that, I'm out of integrity. And that's hard, though, because, you know, finding the right time and the, you know, there's, it, what, what is the word? Like, there's, there's nuance to seeing patients. There's got to be, it's, it's very different person to person. But in a group like that, that's what I loved is we were able over time to be able to step into those places of this is going to be hard to hear or it's going to be hard for me to say. And I don't know who the work's for, you hearing it or me saying it, but it's got to be said and it's got to be heard. Yeah. That makes sense. And I think that's what love does. I think that's a part of love that is very, very, yeah, a lot of people don't want to get to that part of love. We want to get to the acceptance part mm -hmm. of love. We want to get to the compassion, the empathy part. But when you get in, maybe it's not the best language, but the tough love side or the love that is hard to express that has a well, high I think risk that's the fork in the road. 
this there's suffering love which is more of the feminine and the tough love which is more of the masculine and i think both can coexist in the same space you know from different perspectives because some people need a kick in the butt and some people yeah. need compassion you know but complete love fine. needs to allow for both of those right if yeah. you can't allow yeah. for both if you can't stay in the pocket right and live in the fork a little bit it's not that's love. the tension it's incomplete yeah. And yeah. then you can't have healthy relationship because right. it's, it's, it's kind of, I don't mean BS. I don't, you, you're the language guy, but you know what I'm saying? It's, it's almost an, it's, it's almost like a knockoff. It's not quite there. And when you're not quite there, you don't see the things that I want to see in this world, spontaneous healing, the touch mm-hmm. of God, like that's, I think in that fork, because if we look at Jesus as the model, he offended a lot of people. He went right to the issue and right. he really didn't care about the collateral damage. I mean, maybe he did. I read it like it is what it is. He says this, he knew people were going to be offended and leave. And he just had to speak what he had to speak. But, you know, obviously he loved people because man, he sure killed a lot of them. Sure. You know? So I, I think that when it, when it came to the Pharisees, he certainly um, were leaving them by the side of the road because they were the ones that were most, um, you know, yeah. They were so comfortable in their own and their own accoutrements of you. They're actually they took the law and they did these things that didn't make even sense even in, in context. So yeah. I don't know. This is a good time to, to pivot, Jonathan, because one of the questions I wanted to ask you. No, Sean, jump in, dude. As 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 a healer, somebody who heals people, you know, when you're going through that process, because there's a lot of um, you know things you've brought in, and, and there's we talk about the Holy Spirit. There's actually a physiological aspect of what what you're doing. When you're actually in that moment, do you, you know, use your faith, you know, and when you, when you know who you are in God and do you, do you use that when you're healing people, when you're trying to do that process, tell me about what goes through your mind a little bit. And your, yeah, and your- I think you wrote your question to me. Do, do you sense the Holy Spirit working through you? Yes. In fact, just today, just today, it reminded me of when I'm doing what I do. I get what people get what they pay for. Come in, I assess, I work. When I'm analytical and logical, they get exactly what's expected. Expectations are met typically. I mean, sometimes they're not right, but most of the time. When this sounds, this sounds um, unprofessional and maybe even rude, but the more I zone out and ignore what they're saying and telling me and complaining about, in the especially the history, the more I just try to ignore it. I got to try to ignore it with um, kind of a a smile on my face so they don't feel like I'm trying to ignore it. But the quicker I could forget what they say and stare out my window at the hawk that's on the tree for the last seven years that I love, um, that's when spontaneous change happens. To the point where I saw a lady, first time patient, she's a health and wellness practitioner. She couldn't be seen, she's got all these problems. So I said, hey, I'll see you this morning um, before I start my practice, patients. And the minute she walked in the door, I'm like, it's done. She's good. I'll go through the motions still. And she actually said that as she left, like I'm walking out the door, the door's locked and she's still in my office. I'm like, I got to go. I got to go get ready for work. And um, she said, what you have here is really amazing. She's like, I wish I would have, because we were going to do some work together years back and we just never did. She's like, I wish I would have come and seen you and I would have understood. And she's just saying these things that I'm just like, you know, I'm like, I got to get out of here. But I knew it, I clearly knew it's not what I do. It's not what I say. It's the healing environment. But 
and not to be egotistical, but I am the healing environment because the Lord put me on this earth to let healing flow through me. Right. It's not now it is important, my training and what I do and how I speak, because I feel like I do still need to clean up nice and get in front of people to give them an opportunity to opt in. But even the less I care about that, the more it seems to just be flowing, you know, the power versus force. Mm-hmm. And um, like, that's what you're getting. And you're choosing to just say, OK, this is what's happening. It's scary, though, because it does. It had the interim. The transition is painful in a few ways. Right. It's so? painful because what do you mean by well, the interim? It's transition? painful because so I could get a new patient to comply to what I want them to do because I know how to influence somebody psychologically. I know the laws of breath. And you're doing it for their health. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, so here's the thing. I know the answer is yes. I just want our listeners to hear that. Hypnosis and mind control. Personally. Yeah. Yeah. I like to think I operate at a high level of integrity, but there are times where I know I have to wrestle with, I could tell them I need to see them 18 times or six times. What's better for them. I mean, I'll have the, in a millisecond, I have this conversation that's probably like outside of gravity. It's probably a two-year conversation I'm having with myself, right? But in that moment, I have to check myself. But what I'm learning is the more I just get away from that and I just tell them what I think, um, I'll have people opt in to like, like, because, you know, psychology is so important and, and I'm really good at like getting people to comply and doing what I want. Like right now I could start shaking my head and somewhere in turn, in your unconscious mind, you're like, I agree with this guy because he's getting to me to agree and nod my head and say, yes. And I know if there's scarcity, oh, I'm only in the office two days a week. Oh, and by the way, I have this new supplement that's not really out on the market. And I, I, I could go through the, the, the seven laws. In- the psychology of someone in your office. Yes. And that has wow. been great. That is the, well, Robert Cialdini from University of Arizona wrote a book called Influence. It's so scary how you could get people to do what you want them to do. So it's almost like a curse. Now I know that I know that I don't want to operate in that. So Mm -hmm. what is the fine line between attracting somebody and for their own good influencing them? Okay. He calls it, you know, you could, you could use information ethically, or you could be a smuggler of information. I don't want to be a smuggler. I want to use it ethically, but it still feels very world. It feels like information you shouldn't know. Yeah. Or, or have to use like, can I just like, if, if the spirit's really flowing through me, won't they just right. know? Right. Well, today that's what happened. And the lady wanted to pay me, but she's a fellow practitioner. So I didn't want her money, you know, because, you know, there's laws of fair exchange. We'll work together. Sure. Fine. I, I, I wanted, it was more important to impress upon her that I care about you. And uh, I mean, but it was like, that was a flow of energy that was easy peasy. And I want to operate in that all day, every day. But what I said, the scary part is I still got to pay the rent, buddy. You want to know what my rent is on this place and my malpractice and my overhead? And yeah, I got a few bills at home too. I mean, they got to get paid, right? So that's what I mean for me personally, that transition, there's a lot of pain there because it's uncertain. Yeah. It's very uncertain. And it's the responsibility of the father. It's hard. It's freaking hard. And we live in a really fucking expensive world. We you know? do. Absolutely. More expensive you know, now than it's been in a long time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Preach on, and brother. So, yeah, we're Dude, going like through. Like the sourdough loaf of bread, like six bucks. Are you kidding no. me, man? Come on. So the reality is, is being a dad is hard. And um, 
Sean, you said flux. Is this about, do you want to use your gifts better or you feel like it's a change of career or what are you feeling, bro? Yeah. Yes to all that. So I have been moving into more of a consulting space and remember Mary from church way back in the day. Yes. Yes. Mary's the best. She used to contract me to come and speak to the child support services and their employee enrichment. And um, and it was great. It was like, all right, why, why am I going to go speak in a, you know, government county kind of thing, but whatever they want to hear it. And what I found is the more I'm just myself. So, so I, the first few years I curated it to what I think they wanted to hear. And oh, I had to be careful. I can't be too faithful in how I talk. I can't be too woo woo in how I talk. I, I got to keep it. I, I imposed all that on myself. And the more I took risks, the more Mary was like, you were on fire today. I'm like, aren't we going to be in trouble for what I just said? I think I just, I said right. the word Jesus. I think right. I can't say that. And what I found is these people are beautiful, amazing people working yeah. hard jobs that are trying their best um, in, a, in, a, in an arena that gets a lot of flack a lot of times from the conservative world. And what I'm realizing is like in this last year, I, I've spoken at a couple conventions um, for child support services. And, and I, I'm really starting to realize, wow, people really need a touch, man. They need healing. Um, Sean, I mean, Rich, you know? you've been saying that people need a touch. You've called me several times saying, dude, the, the world is hurting. The world needs yeah. touch. The world is, I was in San Diego just this week and we have homeless people in Sacramento, right? We have homeless people in San Francisco. There are homeless people in my backyard in Ventura, but I, I viscerally felt it was, it was on my heart. You know what I'm saying? Where you just, all of a sudden you're looking at these folks and I, I, I don't think I'd ever seen somebody smoke crack up and close and personal, but there was a pipe being lit and one guy smelt so bad that I almost doubled over, right? He was walking in his own excrement, but I just felt like there was a dark shadow over these poor people. And I just, there was a lot of, um, you don't know really what to do at that stage, you know, but I, it just felt stronger on me than it had been before. But Jonathan, you know, um, the kind of idea that we're talking about, even with Joe Dispenza and how getting people together, like not only heal yourself, but now how do we get to the place of healing others collectively, right? Yeah. In, in a way where energy, you know, we're talking at a cellular level or even a subatomic level yeah. where there's enough positive energy and people are aligned and they know and they feel it, right? It's visceral. And that's when the movement happens. And we just need little pockets of this. But it, de- it can't start unless it starts here, right? How can we build out unless it starts here, right? Well, I think that's what we are in such a strange time, you know? Like capitalism ain't working anymore. And America is like extremely fragile. And it feels like, wow. And I, I'm seeing immense vision on healing. And I don't know what to do with that some days. It's like, okay, is that just like too far out there? Like, do we have to go darker than this to get to a point to say, that's a great question. When's enough, man? When's rock bottom? What is rock bottom in this country? Because I think, I think, Here's what I've learned over the last couple of years, and Rich, you've kind of helped me see some of this is the, and my son Travis actually helped me see this, that the United States is a new world idea of getting out of our bullshit. And 
if it dies, it's going to have a significant impact. But what if it can be, what if something collectively can be restored that is built on life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness? Like, God, have we forgotten that? I don't even know if we know how to define that. I don't think most people know that it's that simple. It's like we, we make it way too hard and it's, you know, we like the law because we're afraid of our neighbor. Well, if we started loving our neighbor, that's why the 60s still worked is because they still loved their neighbor. And what if we get back to that? And how much of healing needs to take place that that becomes a movement? That's my question. I don't know. That's But that's what I see in my head is what if that type of movement actually happened? And I would love to be part of that. Well, I think uh, I think the last couple of years of everybody being cooped up and uh, getting out of going into the office, there's been a lot of great technology. It's, be, it's great to be able to Zoom like this and be on meetings. And I, I think the spirit moves however the spirit wants to move. But I do think we have regressed and we've worked against health not gathering. And one thing I'm noticing is in the workplace, people want to gather their people together again, whether they want to or not, they have to. We are community created beings. We, of course, there's quantum physics and we could be together right now, even though we're hundreds of miles apart or hundred miles apart, several hundred for rich. But the reality there is just something that happens when you are in close approximation to people. And for me personally, that's part of it, healing. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I've tried to model myself after faith healers and chiropractors and medical doctors who have skills. and, And I'm always trying to, to take what I think I'm good at, but, but copycat. And I really think, I think revival will happen by the Lord doing a new thing. But we always try to figure out the new thing based on the old thing, I feel like. That's the human nature, is to go to the past and then try to protect the project into the future. And that's why there's so much anxiety, mm-hmm. you know, and there's so much, that's where force comes from. Whereas just being in the pocket, being in the moment. Um, and so for me personally, like, so I don't know if we all have our own personal variation of that I, I believe we probably do it's hard to believe that there's you know what six or seven billion people and we all could be that mm-hmm. uniquely different but i really think we are you know and there is uh you know i think there- yeah I, so i've spent probably the last 10 years studying neuroscience and i'm learning how the brain works and it's very similar to ai and ai is based on data that's only there so you learn and project when you only can see the past and the that's why the power of now is living in that tension of certainty and uncertainty and that's where creation happens and if we live out here we miss this that's happening we miss the the life right now if we li- try and live out into the future yeah absolutely think, like but Sean, that's the ai is that the ai doesn't have the ability of creation they don't have doesn't have the ability of creation exactly yes. exactly yes. kind of creepy but, they can take as much possible information, billions of data points, and collect them and create what we call a, a syntax, what we call a sentence, what we call a response to a variety of different questions because of all the millions of data points they're collecting. And it sounds legit. But that gamma, like even Dr. Joe was talking with Ruben, I, like Rick Ruben today, I was listening to the podcast, and that place of pure creativity that you get to, we there's no machine that can do that, right? And there's you're creating these, you're increasing the length of your telomeres. Is that what it's called, Jonathan? Yeah. Your brain, yes. And neural networks and the ability of pure creation of stuff that 
you had no idea where it came from. That is magic, right? That is where we, that's insane, right? Like, Have you guys seen Guardians of the Galaxy yet? Not, not the, new, the, the new one. You need to go see it because there's a specific scene in there about that exact idea. There's a bad guy. I don't remember his name. He's a black gentleman and he creates the, um, the I think it's Rocket. In oh, the yeah. Lab. Yeah. Okay. The, the, the raccoon guy. Yeah. Right. So the black guy sees Rocket do something that is true creativity. And he goes, how could you do that? Because I didn't program that in you. So where did it come from? Well, to, to speak to what you both said, and that is where I think, so I was listening to Brett, I think it's Weinstein. He's an evolutionary biologist talking about chat GPT and AI. And, 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 and here's the thing, void of the spirit or power of what's available to us. Let's say we remove that, which is probably 95% of what's going on in our lives and everybody else's. We're just, we're just rolling through using more psychology, emotion, intellect. We're not really tapping into power source, however you want to call it. But let's just say we put that over here. They were talking about how a, a, a two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old develop. They develop by watching what's around them. They're not, their consciousness is what they're saying is developing from watching adults, basically, because they're developing how they're going to think, and what they're going to do. So in a way, I do think AI is developing a consciousness on a level of most people, which means I believe in a kind of a creepy way that, that someday a computer brain will be pretty much what our brains are acting like right now. Remember, void of this part over here. But now we say, okay, and then God breathed life in and put a spirit in, right? And that's where that spirit allows us now to connect to outside of time and space mm-hmm. and a universal consciousness and intelligence that the computer yeah. can never have. And I think, yes, I, I feel like that's what you're both saying, yes. but it's a choice because we could live, we could choose to live and literally be chat GPT robots. I mean, that's what I feel like we are doing. And that's that's really creepy because the computer will do a better job than us at some point. Oh, they if will. We don't choose. It they will does. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and then they'll get rid of us because we're a liability. Once they realize, oh, they could tap into this other thing. That's a liability. Like we we need to plug them into the pods and power our city with them, right? Like it's kind of funny how you 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 think of it like that. But um, but I believe, I believe that consciousness, that tapping in, that connectivity, that power. Uh, I, I think that's absolutely where love lies. And I believe that's where the power lies. And, but we can't get there controlling and being fearful mm-hmm. and, 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 and it's not irony. telling the truth. The, G- yeah. Jesus could have come into town with an M60 on the back of his donkey. He could have called on the legions, right? He could have brought it. He could have wreaked havoc on Rome, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he chose not to. And that was the most powerful thing that anybody could have imagined, right? Nobody had the um ha- ha- the power of the of the humility of the of the in the in the um trough, the feeding trough, even born as a helpless babe. Yeah. And then yeah. to, to do that. And and that's just you can't make it up, man. That's what's so amazing, right? And and he told the truth. I love that uh Jordan Peterson's 12 rules for life. Uh he was doing an interview on that book and they asked him, What's the hardest rule for you? And he goes, telling the truth. Because mm. we think telling the truth means not lying. No, no, it's kind of like that that thrive group question, Jonathan, from earlier. You know what? Um, not telling me, not lying is is not telling the truth, right? Telling the truth is like telling the truth. Like here's what I I see you repeating this pattern, and even though I'm still a wretch and doing the same thing, I still 
I can speak into your life because it doesn't invalidate the truth. The truth is the truth, but it's easy to not tell the truth. It's easy to tell partial truth. And I feel like that is our world right now. Look at everything. Look at politics, pharma, healthcare, finance. Are we getting like what percentage of the truth are we getting? A couple percent, maybe we're getting a little bit of it, but we're getting just enough to get us to comply. keep going through. Yeah, comply. Yeah, it's coming out Yeah, it's coming out Aren't yeah. we already in the pods? In theory. <laughs> well, I think that's what this life is. And yeah. that's why we have to overcome it. And overcoming metaphorically is, is, you know, unplugging. And that's scary because I do think people want to stay plugged in and they want to get plugged back in because you see that, right? Mm-hmm. You see people... I, I was kind of like for this really short season. I mean, I remember when the Lord spoke to me audibly. I mean, maybe you wouldn't have heard it, but I heard it in my ears. It was audible twice in my life. And I remember the passion, the excitement and saying, I will never change. This is never going to be different. And then one day, yeah, I don't really want to read my Bible. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to. I, I just I don't want to give any money. I don't want my motivation changed. And there was this lull there that's like, wow, I kind of, I plugged myself back in. Now, now I just need to, because it didn't work out the way it was supposed to, obviously. So now I got to plug back in. I got to make my fortune. I got to, I got to take the bull by its horns, right? That's plugging back in. And I did that for a little bit. And I got, I started getting sick. All of a sudden I'm not sleeping all of a sudden, like, see, that's, what's beautiful about our bodies. They won't lie. They will give yeah. us signs and symptoms. Oh. that check engine light will flip on. <laughs> but here we go. Okay. Let me give you 3% of the truth. Oh, it's genetic. Oh, it's your diet. Oh, it's your, uh, you know, your psychological deficit. It might be fiber. Whatever reason keeps me from facing it, you know? Yeah. 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 And this culture will sell us anything and yeah. we'll buy it. And it's, that's the same as, when I said like people in the group or me not telling the full truth, that was more for me. I was profiting off that more because telling them the full truth would be painful and risky and it might damage something and it might take away my enabling side, right? Like, so I feel like- That's a really good point though, because I actually, so I have a, my company pays for a coach and I meet with him and we meet and we just met again because we were off for three months and we went back and he said, what are you thinking? We were talking through him. I told him a bunch of great stuff. And I said, I almost feel like I want to look at coaching again. And he was like, okay, so put it out there. And it's like, but I don't want to profit off of it. You know, like I want to be able to do it full time, but I don't want to profit off of it. And there's that tension. Cause I don't want to, you don't want to profit off it or you don't want to have to, or want to profit on it. I, uh, I wish I had a, a, an economic engine that would allow me to help people full time. Like that would be freaking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I would, I would totally do it uh, because I think that's where my heart is. I, like the idea of a movement, you know, creating movement around people healing is incredibly interesting to me as a way of experiencing life, you know, because the reality is, is that the, our Thrive group allowed us to be human. You know, is that we created a space where we got to be human enough that it gave us enough hope. Like, you know, we still, like I was walking my dog today going, I'm still here. I'm 56 and I'm still here. Like I still get a chance, you know, and I, I want to do something with that. I don't want to spend the last however many years of my life fading, 
you know, I want to make it valuable. So the most valuable well, thing that I can think of. If is I'd ask you two gentlemen, like I said, you asked me, what is love for me? Or maybe I, that's how I received the question. That wasn't specifically it, but it's, I feel loved. And I think I am loved best by, you know, living and operating in the space that I am destined to be or who I really am yes. outside of this body before I existed. Because so I was that infused. flux different than where you're going or where you are. Do you know that? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm definitely back on track on that. Uh, that yeah. I, I was derailed for a while. I plugged back in, and now I, I have, I am choosing to unplug myself. But it's a scary. It, it there's a lot. I realize how scared I am. How much fear there is. And it's not necessarily fear for me at all. It's fear for what will my wife think? Will I cause her pain? What will my kids think? Will I cause them pain? Outside of that. Before I had all this responsibility I created in my life, I was pretty adventurous. And that's where I think the, um, the world got me a little bit. That, hey, you know, you're responsible for that. What does that look like? What does that mean? So, but for me, it, is, it has something to do with healing. I believe it's physical healing. I believe it has to do with touch. I believe it has to do with, um, wow. like I've seen visions of it, but that's me. So how do you guys see that? Like, what is your, like you just said, you know, coaching people do that. Do you feel like that's your inborn kind of God-given, I don't want to say purpose, that's just so like grand, but like. Well, I really think that virtually all of my Thrive experience, which was seven years, was, was my own healing and, and me co being completely codependent. I tried to heal other people so that I could heal. Like I figured it out working with other people, how I could heal myself. So it wasn't completely codependent, but I, I wanted healing. My mom yeah. taught me how to heal. And, um, but I realized, man, was I broke, I, I broken. Not, it's not the right word anymore for me. It's, I was, I had too much noise in my head to see the truth. That's the best way I can describe it. And it, the noise only went away when I learned how to love myself. And when I learned how to love myself, I stopped worrying. And I think the noise is the chatter, the gossip, the, the limiting beliefs, all yeah. the bullshit that gets stored in your ego. It was love myself. Is that defined kind of like a self-acceptance? Well, I now believe in, in an infinite grace. I think, I think grace is the operating system of the universe. And what does it mean to step into that grace? Grace simply then becomes a space to not intentionally harm people. And I, I think learning allows you to have harm, to keep it to a minimum, but that's part of growing in life. Like people stub their toe, but- We've got to stay away from intentional harm. And well, intention is is the right word, right? right. Because I believe, right. like Rich but said earlier, we need a consequence. Yeah, yeah, but but uh, Rich said it earlier. Like Jesus was pretty rough on the Pharisees. I wish I knew who, what pastor I could credit this to. It was brilliant, and you know, I don't know where it came from, but I feel like it was true. He gave grace to the humble, and he gave the law to the prideful. Yeah. So to the Pharisees and Sadducees, he gave them the law. Like that's yeah. why they killed him. I mean, he yeah. just, well, and, the law is logic. He had no grace. He had no grace. for Right. The no grace. It was like, oh, you want to play by these rules? He Here's them, your own he rules. Right. Them, but that was always met them where they were at. Yeah. 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 But where right. they were at, he didn't impose it on them. He didn't judge them. He just knew their hearts. And I think that's, what's so beautiful. Like if your intention is truly right. And, and that goes back to like, okay, when I'm seeing clients, okay, what's best for them. If that's my intention, then whatever happens, happens. However much money I do or don't make happens. But if my intention is, this is a business, I got to keep the doors open. 
and then secondary, I want them to be well. There is a difference. I'm not even saying, I'm not even saying it doesn't work well. People are still satisfied and they get a better level of health. But I wasn't put on this earth. This is not my mission to give them a better level of health and collect their dollars. It's mm-hmm. to help them heal. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's on the other side of that. And I don't like that uncertainty, but that is where I'm going. And I'm getting closer and closer every day because that's that's where I'm at. That's where I need to be. I choose to be. That is what makes me have the right intention, right? Now I get derailed all the time. But so for you, it sounds like, okay, if your intention's right, you have this infinite grace and that will flow. So you could have infinite grace on others, right? Well, I think once we're in the space of intentional harm, that can only be described as psychosis. And psychosis is noise completely taking over. So, because you become disconnected from your own sense of dignity. Yeah, hypnosis leads to psychosis. And we're we're hypnotized, you know, Maxwell Maltz talks about that in the psycho-cybernetics um, for those of you, Rich, if you haven't heard, he was a plastic surgeon, uh, kind of a medical doctor, plastic surgeon, and he didn't even really start his real career until he was 65. He would change people's faces so slightly and their whole life would change. And by the end of his career, he's talking people out of plastic surgery, but he said people are, yeah, it was awesome. People are hypnotized though, by influence, repetition, and authority, Yep, influence, uh, repetition, intensity, and authority. Repetition, intensity, authority. I mean, look at the last couple of years. Look at every station saying the same words. You ever see those collages of what the media was saying about like certain health issues and things? The same script over. So you hear repetition, authority, got the right tie, got the right. It's all so psychologically driven. And once we're hypnotized, then, I mean, that's when people go into psychosis. They they literally start losing their mind because they're just being fed fear, 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 fear. And uh, I've seen real psychosis. That is wild. I've seen real hypnotic states too, where I just don't believe what I'm seeing, but it's real. We are, according to Dr. Cruz, you know, we are in that stage of being hypnotized by the blue light in front of us. We're literally depleting melanin, which then depletes dopamine. And then when that's gone, we're just kind of walking kind of dynamite. Jonathan, did you send me that article where it talked about the guy where um, he's talking to these gals that are going to go in for a, an interview and they wanted to do an experiment. And they said, hey, listen, we're going to actually put makeup on you that makes it look like you've got a scarification on your face. And we're going to have you go in and you're going to have this interview and we're going to see if that has an impact on um, their hiring of you, right? Because, you know, you're pretty smart. You've got all these things going on. Well, just before they went um, out of the, you know, maybe kind of dressing up room there's a couple people that came to him and said well we just hang on we just need to touch you up a little bit and what they did was they actually removed i don't know how they did it but this is what the story goes it was an instagram story so they removed the scarification they went in and of course after they came out of that interview session they asked what happened well i was totally i was blasted i was i, I was i was vilified meaning like they felt like they were the victims that they had taken off the scars physically and yet when they went through um, what I'm getting at is they felt they still, still felt victimized, felt victimized. Yeah. Like they still had the scars on. Yeah. They saw the scars on. So they made up those kinds of things, you know? Well, here's the thing into that. I I'm learning deeply how I, Dr. Uh, Joe taught me your words matter. Sure. Because our body doesn't know the difference. So we've got to be very careful of what we take in because your body doesn't know the difference unless you're very intentional about the conversation. 
I, like I was telling you last week, I have stopped telling myself I suck. I used to do that intentionally as a joke, going, oh, I suck. No, I do not, because my body doesn't know the difference. I need, because this is the question, Sean, that I'm asking right now. Can we, can we convert the ego into a space of safety that it can then finally be doing what it was designed to do, which is to help us get out of the way when a tree's falling on us? Yeah. Self-preservation on a, like a, a physical yeah. level, not when like it's on not directing level. the ship. And I think when we yeah. talk about trusting God, all right. Well, you want to hear a creepy answer to that? Okay. Okay. So right now, a lot of our discussion has been about you know the brain and intellect and psychology, and and when we're thinking even right now, if if I could judge you guys similar to me, like it's all happening right here, right? Sure. But here's the reality. Okay, if we take all your genetics, so you're let's just say you're 50 to 100 trillion cells. I don't know how they count, but that's like the estimation of a human. Mm -hmm. There are more cells. So you have your genetic Jonathan Brink cells. Okay. There are more other cells in you than you, most of them being bacteria in your gut. Okay. So number one, you're the minority in there. Number two, the gut microbiome, the, the gut, the colon, the whole digestive tract is, is your pharmacy. Okay. That's what's making 95% of your serotonin is made in your gut, good for bone health. But what's serotonin? It makes you feel good about yourself, content about your life. Okay. When we're not on a species appropriate diet, like for me, plants don't do well with me period. Mm -hmm. So when I eat plants, that fiber that is not digestible goes into my gut and bugs eat it up, bacteria. That's why it goes through you. Okay. Those bugs say, thank you for that fiber, but they produce chemicals that are very similar to like the things that drive our brain. Now, this is where this is more of a neuroscientist would have to speak on this, not me, but the way I understand it, and I understand it enough to know in layman's terms, I believe those bugs influence our thought, not just through producing chemicals, like when we crave certain things, like they've done studies, not studies really, but clinical treatments where people have really bad gut bacteria and it's so overgrown with the bad stuff, it's killing them. They remove basically their poop and they get a donor's poop and they put it in them. There's one study where a marathon runner got really sick her cousin, they try to make it genetically kind of more ad adaptable. So like, you know, your cousin's better than a stranger. They took her fecal matter and planted it in this gal. In the first year, she changed, you know, no habits, but she gained the exact amount of weight heavier than her cousin was of her. 32 pounds she gained in a year. This is an, a marathon runner, a very fit person. Because the bugs started changing the way she behaved and thought and craved and processed food. That's creepy, right? Yeah. So right now you're, you're thinking, blowing oh, my, my mind, bro. Yeah. Like this is like, start like looking at like Google some gut, micro, gut microbiology or um, fecal transplant personality changes. I mean, this stuff is real. <laughs> yeah. It's creepy. So like, I'm talking to you, Rich, I'm talking to you, Jonathan, but you know what? I'm talking to something else more than you. Like you, what makes you use your genes? There's less of that in there. So who am I talking to? Right. It's like uh, you ever see the Spider-Man, uh, the Venom movies, where Venom's inside, like attached. Yeah. Like that's kind of what's going on in there, and it's yeah. suggestive. And I mean, Robert Lustig is a pediatric endocrinologist from UCSF, and he wrote a book, "The Hacking of the American Mind," or uh, you know how corporation knows how to hack us and how we're addicted to everything, and it's all about this gut-brain connection and like, oh my gosh, that's what I mean about knowing the truth. We don't even know how our brains work. We're not told full information here. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, some people know how it works. And this is, you want to get into profit. 
But the point being, you know, the way your brain works and the way we operate in this world. So I guess what I mean by that is this is where the physical and the metaphysical or the spiritual come together, I believe. Mm -hmm. Because if your gut microbiome doesn't work right, your brain doesn't work right. And I feel my personal belief is when you are sick, when your gut and your brain are not working right. I mean, to the point of like, schizophrenia has been documented to be cured by gut health, autism. And there are companies that have been in practice a lot longer than me that heal schizophrenia through the gut, which shows us, okay, you know, some churches are saying that's mental ill or uh, that's demon possession. Psychology is saying that's uncurable schizophrenia. But the point being, I think there is a marriage where the, the call it the demonic, call it the, the spiritual world, call it the shadow or whatever your language is. I believe when a human is like susceptible, that's when it attacks and attaches. And I believe that is what we need to break and how we heal is breaking those bonds of a spiritual, physical manifestation. Because, you know, if there's good, then there has to be what? Evil or bad. If there's light, there's only light because there's dark, right? There's only up because there's down. It's the, it's the bipolar nature of this world. So uh, we can't just say, oh, you know, you're sick, let's heal them without understanding why they're sick and how they're sick. And I, I believe that Jesus had a way of understanding these things. And he, he modeled it. It wasn't maybe complete. Just because it's not in the Bible doesn't mean he didn't do it, right? You can't sure. say he did either. But when he said, oh, we want you to heal our friend. Okay, your sins are forgiven. Bro, we want you to heal our friend. You just said his sins are forgiven, right? Or your sins are forgiven, get up and walk. And other times, you know, it was spit in the eyes. And other times, like, we assume we know why he did it in different ways. So maybe it was because to just model for us, hey, there's going to be a lot of different ways. And I'm going to entrust you, Jonathan Brink, or you, Rich, with one of these ways. And that's going to be your focus. Or we don't know why the heck he did it. And we've made all this theology because we're afraid we don't have the right answers. And we still don't know what the heck he was doing. But he was doing it in different ways. And, and so that's, that's what I think when we get into the healing space. Oh man, it is complex. It's not just so easy. And that's why sometimes just praying for somebody doesn't work. And other times it does. So yeah. Um, a couple of things I wanted to say before. Um, you know, I'll I'll scoot, but um, going back to we need the discernment on on the healing side of things because Dr. Cruz, I, I brought up um somebody that I met who was trying to help out. So Dr. Cruz talked a lot about light and having the light come shine through. And that's like 95% of how we can heal things. But I'd mentioned somebody else um, that was doing some stuff with called humic substances. So something you consume that's supposed to take out the glyphosate in the system, right? When you have Monsanto. And this is stuff that's called ion. And he just, he literally disdained this guy. He thinks this guy's full of crap. And oh yeah. He, yeah, doctor, his name is Zach Bush. Yeah, I know Dr. Bush. I've actually used the product. Yeah, I, I have. To, I call it. I call it expensive dirt water. Exactly. It's it tastes like metally kind of weird stuff. But um, what I'm getting at is in in the in the gut biome world, there's so much. There's so many different kinds of things. So what I'm trying to ask you is, how do we cut through what at least Jack, Jack Cruz thinks that there's real healing paths, right? And then there's garbage. In the well, something he said too. Rich, that uh, I caught in another, I, I don't think he mentioned it with you, and he didn't mention it much, but he has said, eat like a great white shark. That's speaking to the gut microbiome right there. What he means by that, and I think it's because that's not his angle. Are you talking about Zach or Dr. Cruz? Yeah, he's talking about, no, he's talking Dr. about Cruz. Cruz. 
Cruise. Dr. Cruise. Eat like Cruise. a great white yeah. shark. What does he that did. mean? Great white sharks don't eat plants. That's, I believe, what he's saying. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but because... Gordon Peterson eats beef, salt, and water. That's right. I mean, I, I personally have been carnivore. I have not eaten a plant in uh, seven weeks now. Okay. I was already ketogenic nutritionally mm -hmm. for four years, eating under 50 carbs a day. All I was eating was a little bit of lettuce here and there, some nuts, and coconut. That was the only plant material I was eating. When I stopped eating that little bit of plant material, that just little bit, so I had lost 30 pounds in four years. I lost five pounds of body fat in two weeks. It was, I was shocking myself. I didn't understand what was going on. I got all scared. Maybe I got cancer. Like it was like weird for me. And I mean, I looked at my body in the mirror and it started changing. My bowels started changing all over just that. So personally, my microbiome, and I'm really, and then I went through what all these doctors told me was going to happen. I didn't believe it. I couldn't leave the house for a couple of days. I was like, Ooh. you know, that whole don't trust a <laughs> fart thing. That was no joke. And then all of a sudden I went through another phase where everything slowed down. I'm like, I've never had that in my life. I'm like, what? And that, what is that? It's all a war in my gut, my microbiome, just from pulling out four foods. Are you kidding me? So like, it's powerful. And now I'm, I'm, I'm eating more. I'm not hungry all the time. Everything they told me was going to happen is happening. And it's not psychosuggestive because I don't have any faith in most things doctors tell me, right? Sure. I barely believe myself on a good day. But um, I'm in the gym stronger. I'm in the gym longer if I want to be. I have more energy off less sleep. All in I, I gave up coffee for a few weeks just to see what would happen. No real change. So that, I guess that's the only technical plant uh, I'm using right now. But I'm not saying the whole world has to do that. But I'm Are saying there's a good chance. Pure carnivore. Pure carnivore diet. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I never would have thought, but that's all the gut microbiome is the issue. It's the gut microbiome. And um, so anyway, Jordan that's Peterson's my point. Daughter like, got off of, Jordan Peterson's daughter um, got off of SSRIs and on a, on a pro meat diet. Yeah. She's like lion diet. She's like Wait. one meal a day, beef, salt, water. And so is Dr. Anthony Chafee, the plant-free MD. Like people are doing this for years and they yeah. look amazing. See, that's the thing I'm noticing when the gut's right, that is truly our fountain of youth and our anti-aging. But to the point of like, where I tell, I feel demonic things are attracted to sick, hypnotized people. I also oh, yeah. believe the minute I started taking care of myself on a different level, I've noticed my spirituality changing too, that's which is Matthew interesting. Principle. The Matthew What's principle, that? the more, that's the Matthew principle. The, the more you get, the more you'll have, or the more you believe, the more you'll have. And the less you believe, the less you'll have. It'll be you, taken away. I you know you have. It is that. That is truth. That is a very yes. high level of truth. And it's, I don't understand how to quantify it or explain it, but it's just, that's where it's like, people, if I could just touch you and tell you to trust me, it's going to change. And I mean, that's, I think what love is, is really meaning it. It's, it's just touching somebody and saying, man, I want the best for you. Just trust me. But that that's a lot of pressure. Like I used to feel that was a lot more pressure. Now I'm like, screw it. I'd rather take the risk and look stupid and give them some false hope than not take the risk and trade time for dollars and give them what's expected and then leave. And then two weeks later, they hurt again, you know, that whole thing. So, so my mom was a healer and she could literally just affect people in one session, like radically. Yeah. And it was freaking really weird to watch. She did a process called theophostic, which you and I have talked about. 
and Rich, you and I have talked about, um, and it worked. And I learned how to do it, and it worked. Um, and then it stopped working. Okay. And a lot of the work we did at Thrive, I feel like it was just my mental energy trying to overtake guys. And there was good work, but I realized it was never the level that my mom had. And I realized now what my mom did is my mom, she was never in her mind. She was always in her heart and she would just touch people and she would feel whatever they would feel. But what would happen would be this exchange of energy because she connected to their worst place and it would automatically exchange with good energy. And they would feel enough that they could get to courage and face their own fears. And once they did that, they had them. And I realized that came through touch, not through her mind. Mm. Yeah, it came through. It was one mechanism of light transfer, energetic transfer through physical touch. Yeah, There's other ways, but that was her gift. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that I'm finding is the more balance I have between my head and my heart. Cause my, I think most of thrive was in my head and I could get to my heart, but it was mostly my head. Now it just I'm probably needed to transition and you didn't I know did. how to do it at the time. I did. Absolutely. I did. And, and what you were good at, you had to overcome and transition and you right. just didn't accomplish it in those three years. That's all. Right. Took yeah. you a few more. We got but if there. you did it over again, yeah. year one and year two would have been real different. Right. Yeah. And I think the thing that I loved about it is I genuinely did want to see guys experience the same things I did, which was, yeah. to, you know, that it was that, great that, intention. Hey, man, we're all just we're all just growing up. You right. Know? You know? We are. And and there was some BS and it, we dragged some things on. We did. But like we we've learned from that. All of us. I, mean, I know you and I did. I know oh, you yeah. and I did. Yeah. That, that thing okay. you said, your mom, about the the, the transfer of energy. It's really funny. Um, you know, our, our mutual friend, Chris, right? Hmm? Crazy Chris McCarley. Love oh, him. Yeah. Oh yeah. Love him. I remember one time I was working on him and he said something profound and I kind of laughed about it, but it's stuck ever since I had these really expensive lasers and he kind of laughed. He's like, man, those are cool. And all 30 grand for that thing. He's like, you know, one of these days, this will be your laser. You'll just need your finger. And I think what he meant, I felt like that was almost prophetic and he saw something like, and I think he's right because you know, what is laser? It's a 635 nanometer frequency, a red healing laser, right? Right. Well, can't we create every frequency and emit it? The problem is we don't know we can, so we're always like ingesting frequency. But I believe we could be like, and and I don't know what Jack Cruz, you know, Dr. Cruz would say about this, but I do believe we can put almost like a a block. I think we could project out and block some of that light from coming in. But when you're tired more now and you're hypnotized, it's just, you're just like a vacuum for it, you know? So you're sucking in the wrong. um, I felt he's bitter. He's, he's bitter because he spent so much time, so much. He's fought a hard fight. He has. He, he studied so hard and he, he realized, imagine everything you understood and 99% of it is all bullshit, according to his, you know, his, his, his experience. So you go through all that and basically throw it all away. And he goes, you know what? I don't have that much time left. But um, at the end of our actual session, it was kind of cool because we're like, wait a minute, man, there's a few kinds of things. The light's kind of peeking in and then right. I, I felt it seemed like he felt it was it was he, he acknowledged a few of those right and so that's what we have to do right we have to have you know we're alive we're we're, we're, we're here we've got community we've got family you know we, we're waking up every day you know and, and we, we're going about it all over again and then when you wake up with that gratitude jonathan that matthew principle i think is like gratitude when you're great grateful for things the gratitude I think that's where it works most it perpetuates the gratitude. Yes. That, that's the self-fulfilling part of it. You're grateful. Yeah. And then it gives you more reason to be grateful because you're actually bringing into fruition the things to be grateful for. 
I have been practicing gratitude. Uh, I'm trying to get down to a minute by minute, but I, I think about it all day long for nine months and it has radically changed my life. Yeah. Like radically changed my life. Yeah. And Sean, you talk about that, that flux of getting into your space. The more that I practice gratitude, the more that I can begin to see the space. And that's what I want for other people is to be able to see how fucking good it can be because, and I think that's the kingdom of God. I think Jesus understood you could see the kingdom of God today. And when you could see how good it was, you wanted everybody to experience it. And that my friends is the meaning of life. (laughs) Sean, it's been a pleasure. I, I loved having you here. Please come back again. We would love to have you rich. You want to say any final words? No, it's, I, I've been looking forward to this and it actually opened up. I thought we might go down some theological rabbit hole and I'm glad we didn't. I'm glad we just focused on our heart, touch, healing, just going through life, you know, being authentic selves. That was, it was awesome. Really appreciate John, it. What about you, bro? Jonathan, the only thing I really got to ask is, okay, I don't think I've ever worn a green t-shirt in my life. <laughs> no, really. And Renee's like, you got to send those back. And I'm just like, I'm wearing a green t-shirt. I, pu- I pulled it out of the package. I haven't even washed it yet. And like, we're wearing like the same green t-shirt. <laughs> Yours looks blue. An $11 Banana Republic from Costco, dude. It's the light, man. This is H&M. Trust me, it's it's green. I just, I'm under fluorescent lighting. I'm under blue light, man. I'm under oh. blue light. Killing myself over here. <laughs> Burn it. I'm I will finish myself. with this. I have started a new practice and Sean, you inspired it. I now lay on my grass with my feet on the grass and look at the sun for four minutes a day. And it's the best freaking thing I've done. It is. It's the best thing I've done. So wait a minute. Have you tanned your perineum yet, though? Or your balls? That's got to be next, Jonathan. A Come melanin on. in there, boys. <laughs> a lot of melanin that. in there. <laughs> All right, everybody. Have a wonderful uh, time. Hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please comment and review. We would love the conversation with our listeners. And uh, this has been Living in the Matrix with Jonathan Rich. Say uh, good night, everybody. Much love.